You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Now I'm going to get our team to show a picture up there because I want to speak about it for a moment. The ship that is called the Costa Concordia. Have you heard about this ship? Um, You've seen this ship? Isn't it beautiful? Man, isn't that a beautiful picture? Now look at it now. Wow. That ship there is nearly three, over three football fields long. It's nearly a thousand, it's near, I think it's 952 feet in length. It is 116 feet wide. It has 1,500 cabins. It holds, uh, I think, close to 5,000 people on that ship. There were 3,200 passengers and about 1,000 crewmen on that ship. It has uh, four swimming pools, three theaters, an internet cafe, multiple restaurants, a Grand Prix motor racing simulator, and the possible loss could be, could exceed $1 billion. My sister said she sailed on that ship. She said, you know, when I heard about everything that went on, she said, I thought about when I was on that ship, how, how scary it would be if the power went out and you were on one of those elevators. And for the world has been watching this scene right here. Now, right now, they're unable. They've had to uh, discontinue some of the operation and trying to see what they can salvage and even still looking for dead bodies. They've not been able to do that because of the weather. Now, everyone has asked what happened to that ship. What went wrong? And there's been all kinds of speculation, but the bottom line is that the captain of this ship made a decision. He made a decision to not to disregard his navigational charts, his warnings and the instruments, and instead, in order to please the head waiter, to please the head waiter, he made the decision to divert it off course just a little bit, to swing near an island where the, his head waiter is from in order to blow the foghorn. Okay? And that move right there may have cost him, it may have cost this company nearly $1 billion. News said this. They said this about the Costa Concordia. They said that, um, first of all, they said the passengers had not been trained. In other words, they didn't even know where the life jackets were. They were not in any way prepared for the storm, prepared for the problem. It said the crew, now listen to this, a thousand-member crew, it said they were confused. Now let me ask you this. You want to guess where the captain was? He wasn't even on the boat. Now, I want you to understand something because I want you to take a long, hard look at that second picture. I want you to show it one more time because if you and I are not careful, our homes can look like that. And usually it's because we do not understand our role, our place in our home. And that's critical. And so that's what I want to speak to you today about. And I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. Because if your home and my home is to be storm-proof, then we need to know and understand our role, our responsibility, what God has called me to do, what God has called you to do. You see, 
Storms, when they hit your marriage, when they hit your home, when they hit your life, will often magnify problems in relationships. Is that not true? You remember Job. Job went through an unbelievable storm. I mean, the Bible says that, man, God God picked a fight with the devil. Think about that. (laughs) He just picked a fight with the devil. And man, before long, Job is just caught in this unbelievable storm. He loses everything. He, he loses his crops. He loses his livestock. Everything. I mean, Job just gets pounded and hit over and over again. Now, there comes that point that he even loses his family. He loses his children. And finally, he loses his health. And in that moment, when he's out there with a piece of pottery, scraping these festering boils, his wife says this, Job, why don't you curse God and die? And that, at that moment, was the voice of the enemy. You see, storms will often magnify problems in our life. Let me, do you know that the Costa Concordia, it means continuing harmony, unity, peace, But there was none of that. You see, the problems come in our life, and when we get into storms, they usually magnify issues in our relationships. And we begin to realize every single person on this ship had a role to play, had a responsibility. And I want you to understand that you and I, in the home, in marriage, in our lives, we have certain roles, we have certain responsibilities that we have to play. Now, the problem is either we don't know our role or we refuse our role or we delegate our role, or we just are in the wrong role. So what Paul does here in the book of Ephesians, in in, in first three chapters, he talks about beliefs. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians, he talks about behavior. But what Paul is, what he's doing here, he's speaking to these early believers. Now listen to me closely. Christians were not allowed in the synagogues. Okay? Okay? I mean, they were going to get in trouble if they went to the synagogues. Christians were not allowed to build churches. So what would happen in the early New Testament church, Christians would gather in their homes. And those homes, in essence, became churches. People a lot of times now will ask, uh, I, you know, people will say, well, how many satellites do you all have? Man, we got a lot of satellites. Do you realize that? Because every single home represented here is a satellite. In other words, if we were honest, we've got a bunch of churches in this room because every single one of you and myself, we are churches. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're the church. You're the church. And every home here, in some ways, is a picture of the church. And so what Paul is doing here in Ephesians is Paul is talking to these early believers how important it is that they understand their home and their responsibility as a body of believers, as a church. Now let's pick up here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He said, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, let's go back and read verse 21 then. It gets, it's better, okay? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And all the women said, oh, well, it'll get better. Husbands, husbands love your wives. And all the women said, 
Amen. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Men, your responsibility is to present that woman holy and blameless. You're part of that process. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. He will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Paul admits this, but I, am, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is the best picture of Christ and his relationship with his bride, the church. However, each one of you must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now let's read on. Look at, look at Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And all the kids in the room and youth said what? Yeah, <laughs> young people, let me explain something here. When you hear something that is a biblical truth, what you do is you respond with amen. Now let me try it again. For all the children and all the youth in this room, even college age, okay? Let's get the college folks maybe to help them. Okay, listen to it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Thank you. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now fathers, watch this. Fathers, do not exasperate, do not provoke your, your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us and we Pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around this group here even now. Lord, that you speak into our lives truths that will forever change us. Lord, we pray for healing in marriages. We pray for healing in families and in homes. We pray, dear Lord, for the divine presence of your Holy Spirit to go home with us even in our vehicles, to bring peace where there's disharmony. Lord, may you take each one of us and may we not look at our husband, may we not look at our wife, may we not look at our children, may we not look at our job, may we not look at our finances, may we not make excuses, may we not say, well, I'm glad she's here and she's hearing this, or I'm glad he's here and I hope he hears this. May we take the words of this message to our own hearts. May you change us. This is not about anyone but me. This is not about Sheila. It's not about Amy and Matt or Sam and Judah or any of these. It's not about Ledger or Alicia. It's not about Ethan. It's not about Canaan or Eden. It's not about Emily and Corey. It's not about Jeffrey. It's not about Megan. It's about me, Lord. May I not look to anyone but me. And Lord, may you pull back and allow us to see who we really are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Now, Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to these early believers. And basically what Paul does here in the book of Ephesians is Paul deals with three relationships. Now, first of all, ladies, I want you to listen. He wants to speak a word to you, women here, wives here. If you're a young, young lady here and you're not married yet or you're single here or maybe you uh, have been married and, and, and you're divorced now, then I'm talking to you. Now, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, because the first thing that Paul wants us to understand about relationships is our relationship with each other. Paul says here in verse 21, he says, Every believer, every Christian is to submit. He said, submit to who? Submit to one another. Now, he uses there a Greek word, hupotasso. It's a military term. It means to come, it means to fall in rank. I remember years ago when I was in the military. At, man, I can remember at Fort, I'm in at Fort Riley, Kansas. I had an African-American sergeant. And I thought this guy had come from the pit of hell. He was mean as no telling what. And I will never forget, we got to, we got to Fort Riley and we had stowed all of our gear and then he said, uh, he, he came out there and he said, fall in. And man, we all came running out there. Boy, we were trying to, we had watched Gomer Pyle. I mean, we were ready. And I, I can remember this African American sergeant, he walked back into that, he walked back into that barracks and he just tore it apart from one end to the other. He ripped it. We could see our sheets and our bedspreads. We could see our clothes and our, our trunks being thrown up. And he walked back out there and he got about that far from my face and he said, boy, you're not at the Holiday Inn. And then he walked over to a buddy of mine from the University of Alabama. He looked at him and he said, and son, your mama's not going to come get you either. I want you to know something. That night we were all crying. I promise you, grown guys, we were in there. You could hear us, boy. After the taps, after the lights went down. <laughs> oh, mama, come get me. But this is the picture here. Paul said, listen, hupatasso, we're to fall in rank. We're to come under authority, and it's a military term there. What Paul is saying to every single one of us, we are to give up our rights and come under the authority or to be responsible for each other. Let me give you a critical statement. You and I cannot serve without submitting. You can't do it. You can't serve without submitting. Every home is a church. And every member of that home must give up their own rights and be committed to serving one another. You see, that's the critical key. A lot of people were here Christmas meal. People came, listen, we were packed during Christmas for our Christmas Day service. I've had people, I, this week I ate lunch with an orthopedic surgeon who said to me, I was deeply moved by that Christmas service. He said, it shook me. He sat there in a Wendy's and wept and shared his testimony about what God was doing in his life. Let me tell you why it was so moving. It was because God's people coming together and serving the community. Jeffrey made this statement, and I think it's so true. He said, Dad, we need to do that at least once every quarter. We need to put a sign out there that says, Hungry? Question mark. Come in and fellowship and eat. But you see, this is the difference. So what Paul is saying here is that you and I are called to submit to one another. You remember when Jesus was asked who's the greatest? The disciples arguing over who's the greatest. What did Jesus say? 
He began to, he took a towel. He got out and began to wash the feet of his disciples. I remember one day, Eloise, years ago, called and she, she said to me in the office, she said, Brother Jeff, uh, there's a man that wants to come see you. I said, well, tell him to come on. He was a pilot. He's a helicopter pilot. And I'll never forget this man came in. Great man of God. Love him. He came in. He had a bag. And he said, Brother Jeff, I know this is strange, but he said, I feel like God wants me to do this. And here's this pilot, helicopter pilot, flying crews back and forth offshore. And he pulls out, he gets down on his... He said, Brother Jeff, could you come around here and sit? I, I went around there and sat. I didn't know what he was going to do. And he opened up that bag. He pulled out a bowl. He pulled out a gallon jug of water. He pulled out a towel. He said, Brother Jeff, God's told me to wash your feet. Blessed are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. And this pilot got down on his hands and knees. And man, I, I want you to know something. My feet stink. I got the ugliest toes on earth. And I mean, this man sat there and he caressed and cradled and washed my feet. And I want you to know something. It shook me to the core of my being. It reminded me that God has called you and I to submit to one another. We're to serve one another. You know what the problem is in the church today? Everybody's coming to the church to get something. You see, that's the difference here. If you're here today, I want you to understand something. The difference about this church, unlike so many churches today, this is not a church where we're just coming in and we're just sitting around saying, well, bless me. This is not a canned performance up here. We're not up here performing. We're not putting on a show. We've not tweaked it down to the last second. My friend, we're trying to bring you into a personal encounter with Christ. And so here, Paul says, listen, if you and I are to understand this thing, we're to understand relationships, we have to submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Now, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. One writer said this. He said, two reasons, ladies, two reasons for the command. When the Christian wife submits herself to Christ and lets Jesus Christ be the Lord of her life, she will have no difficulty submitting to her husband. Okay, now stay with me. Let me read on. This does not mean that she becomes a slave. For the husband is to submit to Christ. And if both are living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there can be harmony. Did you hear that? When both husband and wife are willingly submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then there's going to be harmony in that home. You may say, well, you don't know who I'm living with. My friend, I'm telling you, no matter what marriage you're in, no matter what God's doing, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You mean that He can give me the strength to survive and live in this relationship? Absolutely yes. A woman came and sat down in my office this past week and began to talk about her relationship and how it was such, such a mess and she was just going to town. She's not here today. That's part of her problem. Just talking about how bad her relationship. I finally stopped her and said, well, let me ask you something. Are you married? She said, well, no. I said, well, God will never bless that. If you're in a live-in relationship, God will never bless that because that's adultery. It's outside of the perimeters. If you're having sex outside of marriage, 
If you're a young person here and you're promiscuous or you're in a relationship that is promiscuous, I want you to know something. God will never bless that. Because see, it's people coming together under the Lordship of Christ. Now ladies, Paul said we're to, you are to submit. Now I want you to know something. That doesn't come easy. In fact, there's a little bit of Miss Olson in all of us in there. You remember Mrs. Olson? Little House on the Prairie? Man, I used to feel so sorry for Nels Olson. I used to think, man, if I was Nels Olson, I believe I'd choke her. I'd poison her. I believe I'd do something. You know, man, I'd hate to live in that. You know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the writer says here, if you go all the way back, in fact, let, let, let me just read this to you real quickly. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. You know what the Bible says here? Ladies, listen to this. It says, to the woman he said, now this is after the breakdown between God and Adam and Eve because of sin. And as God begins to pronounce the verdict, the punishment for sin, in verse 16 he said to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. With pain you will give birth to your children. Now watch this. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. John MacArthur said this, he said, there will be in a woman always this attempt to fight the authority of her husband because of that sinful nature. He went on to make this statement. MacArthur said this. He said, the curse on Eve was that woman's desire would henceforth, listen to this, be to usurp the place of man's headship, that he would resist that desire and he would seek to rule over her. In other words, there'd be a war. You may say, well, how do you solve the war? Both husband and wife coming under the lordship of Christ, submitting to one another. MacArthur went on to say this. He said, women have an inclination to usurp, to assert man's authority, and men have an inclination to put women under their feet. You see, I think that a lot of times what we have to understand about marriage about this relationship, this idea of marriage, is that man, is that a husband must look at his wife and say, God, listen to this. Men, listen to this. God has only one thing, if you are a Christian, that he's concerned about. And that is conforming you into the image of Christ. Ladies, God only has one thing that He's concerned about in your life, and that is conforming you into the image of Christ. Now, let me tell you how you look at your marriage. Your marriage is God taking the tool of your husband or your spouse and using that to whittle away those things that don't look like Jesus. Sometimes you don't like your husband. Sometimes you don't like your wife. Sometimes you don't like somebody that's been brought in a friendship because they're confrontational, because they're telling you the truth, and they may be telling you some things that you need to hear. And you don't want to listen. You see, Sheila, I discovered something. My wife is a tool in the hand of God by which God has been making me holy. I wrote this quote down, God brought him or her into your life to make you aware of things that need to change. He's conforming you into the image of Christ. And your problem may be, you say, me change, he needs to change. Or she needs to change. 
You see, that's automatically what we do. We look at the other person. It's not about me, it's about them. If they could just get their act together, then I'd be all right. My friend, I want you to know something. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. You know what Paul's contentment, his satisfaction, all everything, listen, centered on his relationship to Christ. When I come under the lordship of Christ, God says to me, you can survive anything, anywhere, at any time. I want you to take your Bibles, take a left and go over to Psalm 128. Men, I want you to be there. Men, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible there off the pew in front of you or get near somebody. In, in, in Psalm 128, now Psalm 127, you remember that? If you and I are going to build a stormproof home, who's the contractor? God. God's my contractor. And he uses the word of God, he uses prayer. Listen, I'm walking, I'm building my home on the foundation of God's word. I'm bathing it in prayer. God is the contractor, and, and guess what? And the children are God's, not G-O-D-S, but G-O-D apostrophe S, they're God's. They're God's possession on loan to me. But 128, I love this. Men, you're going to love this. Dog ear this page. Go back to it. In Psalm 128, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Let me tell you something. When you and I are walking with God in, in obedience to God, it's a lot easier for God to bless us. Now watch what he goes on to say here. In verse 3, Your wife will be like a fruitful what? Vine. Man, what, what the writer here was saying, what we believe that Solomon was saying here is this, is that men, your wife is like a vine. Now let me ask you something. Can a vine grow by itself? No. A vine is always going to, it's always going to find something to literally cling to, to climb to. It naturally will do that. And so men, what you and I have to understand is that the, that the woman in our life, and if you're here today and you're dating and you're thinking about marriage, young men, you need to understand that a woman longs for strength and security, listen to this, she longs to lean. She longs to lean. That's what she's looking for. She's like a vine. A man is like a wall. And the danger is, men, when you and I become unstable and we begin to vacillate and we begin to change and we're not firmly secured on the foundation of our relationship with Christ and then the storm all of a sudden hits and the wall begins to crumble and the vine falls. Women want security. Man, I just imagine, I wrote down, I thought to myself, can you imagine Joshua's wife? When old Joshua stood as they were about to go into the promised land, he called the nation of Israel together. And then he came to that point, he said, Hey, listen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you imagine how Joshua's wife felt at that moment? Dads, hear me. Your daughters are vulnerable. They will be taken advantage of because they long to lean. They long to lean. And if dad is not there, then a worthless, no good, sorry skunk will come along with no integrity. He will use your daughter. He will abuse your daughter just like a used car. And when he finishes, he'll throw them off and get him another one. 
Young ladies, I want to encourage you, if you're promiscuous, if you are promiscuous, if you're giving away something that should be saved, stop right now and repent. And understand, young ladies, that you have a tendency in your heart you long to lean, and I understand that you want security. And I want you to know something. I want you to know something. You may be here today and you say, I don't have a dad or my dad is a drunk, or my dad is two-timing, or my dad is a worthless human being that I would never lean against. And you say, but I need somebody. My friend, let me tell you this. First of all, you have Jesus Christ to lean against. He's a solid wall. He won't let you down. And then on top of that, I want you to know something too. I, and In fact, I even thought to myself, we've got some, we've got some walls on loan. Uh, Jeff Ainsworth, Jeff, would you be a wall on loan? What I mean by that, what do you mean Reggie would be a wall on loan? What I'm saying to you young ladies is these are godly men who walk with the Lord. You may say, I don't have a dad. Let them be your dad. I guarantee Jeff could whoop the snot out of about, about a half dozen guys. Okay, let, let him greet that guy at the door. Young men, listen. I wanna, and here's one of the walls coming in now. I, I had him in my notes and he would slipped out for a moment. It's Steve. Steve would be a perfect wall to loan, a wall. I mean, I mean, a wall for loaning. Okay? And you may have to explain to him what I mean by that. Young men, listen to me. Young men, listen to me. If you're a young man here and you're not yet married, I want to, or you're married, let me talk to young men that are married. You need to grow up. There, young men, listen. You need to grow up. You need to put away the videos. You need to put away the games. And you need to put away your buddies. And you need to be the solid wall that that young wife can lean up against. She doesn't need that to have to deal with all of the idiosyncrasies and all the things in your life. I can remember when Sheila and I, when we were about to get married, my dad took us over to Tupelo and he was going to buy me a, a, a suit to get married in. And I'll never forget, Sheila got out to go do something. My dad looked and pointed as she was walking in front of the vehicle. He said, son, he said, you get your buddies out of your life. That's your buddy now. You see, young men, you and I need to understand that. So ladies, what the Bible says is to, is to submit. Submit to your husband. Give up rights. Begin to serve him. Make all the difference in the world. He may faint. He may have a heart attack. But try it anyway. And it says, note here, he says, your husband. In Ephesians, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, because see, there's a lot of men, they just think, well, women are just subservient, and women ought to just simply serve any man. No, it doesn't say that. It says that you are submit to your husband. Years ago, I was in a church, and a deacon, we were in the middle of a conflict, and the deacon went to my wife and said to her, you need to be in this meeting. He said it about like that. You can imagine Sheila, as sweet as she is. You need to be in this meeting. Well, I wasn't even going to be in the meeting. My chairman of deacons came over. I was playing a guitar, sitting out on the front porch of this home. And he said, Brother Jeff, you've got to come over there. He said, we've got two meetings going on. We've got the WMU in one room and we've got the deacons in another. No, he said, we've got the WMU. We want you to meet with them. And I said, look, they're your wives. Y'all deal with them. Well, that's not a way to influence, have friends and influence people. I can tell you that much. So my chairman of deacons, he finally said, look, Brother Jeff, I said, I tell you what, before I meet with those women, I'm gonna, I want to meet with you men. I said, I want all the deacons in a room. 
All the deacons came together. They were in that room. WMU was in another room. We were having a problem with literature. They were wanting to use literature that, was not, that to me was not any way biblically based at all. And I took a stand against it. And these were women. They were, you know, some of them were just movers and shakers and ran their homes. And so these men were in this other room. And I'll never forget, I walked into that deacon's meeting. I walked in the deacon's I didn't say a word. I walked into the deacon's meeting, walked over and stood right in front of a man who was sitting down. I said, sir, don't you ever tell my wife she needs to be anywhere. Never. You see, my wife's to submit to me, not any other man in this room. I don't want no man telling my wife nothing. You see? Well, this is what Paul's saying here. You see, and, 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 and ladies, you may say, well, I can't submit to the man God's brought into my life. I can't submit to this husband. I barely respect him. How am I going to submit to him? You know what the Bible says? You, we are to submit as unto the Lord. In fact, Paul said, do everything as unto the Lord. Imagine, ladies, if you begin to work and submit and serve your husband as you would Christ. The difference it would make. Now, husbands to wife. In verse 21 again, Paul said, Submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord, out of reverence for Christ. Now look at verse 25. He says, Husbands what? Love your wives. If you and I men are going to be the kind of husband that God would have us to be, then we are going to have to give up our rights and begin to serve her. It's unconditional. Listen to this. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here together in the presence of God to unite this man, this woman, in holy matrimony. We Listen, when we have a wedding, we call, we call God as our witness. And listen, men, what you said. You said, better or worse, richer or poor, till death do us part. But buddy, let a problem come. It's over. You see, it's unconditional, sacrificial love. You say, well, how can I do that? I can do all things, Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. I can tell you this much. If Christ loved me the way some men love their wife, he would have left me a long time ago. This is not a conditional love. And you may say, I can't do that. You don't know the woman I'm married to. Sir, you can do it if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God will give you everything that you need. This is a, this is a movie. I had to go back and check. This is my, pre, my pre-Christian days. Okay? But there's a movie years ago with Richard Gere and uh, Jodie Foster. It's called Summersby. I don't recommend going to see it because I don't even know what was in it. But I remember one scene in it. The, the movie takes place in the Civil War. This man has is, is gone off and he's fought in the Civil War and now he's coming back. And when he comes home, the people in the town know him and he looks exactly like the man, but they think there's some things that are a little different, like the guy's fitting his shoes and he says, you know, your foot's, your foot's two sizes smaller. His wife, Jodie Foster, and Richard Gere plays the main part, and his wife, and the woman is Jodie Foster. Jodie knows something that's different about him, but man, they just are in love. And finally, there comes that point to where they prove that Richard Gere is not really this man. And, and, and they take him to court because the, the, the real husband, the real man, 
is about to, he's going to be put to death. He's going to be hung because of a crime. But the town loves Richard Gere so much, they keep saying to him, we know that you're not this man. If you will just say that, if you'll just come out and say that you're not this man, and even though you look exactly like him, you're not him, then we'll let you go free and you can live your life and, and you can be married to Jody Foster and everything. So this man, they, they finally comes to this court scene, and God forgive me for going on about this, but they finally come to this court scene. I mean, this courtroom moment where Jodie Foster is on the stand and Richard Gere, who is her husband, but yet he's not her husband. He's not really this man. And they're in this intense moment and, 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 he, and, he, and he looks at her and he's trying, to, he's trying to say, I am that man. She's saying, no, you're not. And finally, in the intensity of this moment, Richard Gere looks at her and he says, how do you know I'm not your husband? And she raised up and she leaned out. She said, because my husband never loved me the way you do. And they hung Richard Gere because he refused to denounce that he was that man, even when the town and Jodie Foster knew that he wasn't. I've told that to young men sometimes, that's love. And Braveheart, I love that movie. I love that movie where William Wallace, when he goes to get his bride, you know, he marries this woman, and then they murder her. And in that story, Braveheart, he goes and he steals the body. He goes and he takes vengeance. I don't know if you remember that scene in Braveheart as he's coming into that, into that place there. Some of Longshank's uh, cohorts and these men that have murdered his bride, his little bride. And, and so he comes in and he, and he pulls that sword and he just unleashes his vengeance. And then he takes the bride, the, the body of his bride, and he goes and he buries it in a secret Men, why do you think women long to be loved like that? Because they're vines. They want something to lean against, secure, to rest on. They want to be loved. Men, she longs to lean. She longs to be loved. She longs to be protected. When I met Sheila, I'll never forget, I was in an adolescent psychology class in Holmes Junior College in Goodman, Mississippi. And in this class, I'd sit in this class every day. And I used to fish a lot. And one day, it was a beautiful spring day. And I said, you know, I said, when I, I said something, I said to a guy next to me, I said, man, when I get through, I'm going to go and I'm going to go fishing. And there was a brunette about two seats back behind me. I'd noticed her before. She said, wow, that sounds good. I'd love to go too. The stupidest thing I ever did was not taking her on that right away. I remember there came a time the professor of that class was a Methodist preacher. And one day I was walking out of the hallway, walking down the hallway, and I looked in, I saw that brunette, and I looked at her, and she was just weeping, and this professor, this Methodist preacher professor, she was just sitting there weeping and just weeping and just weeping. And I thought, God, what's wrong with that brunette back there? What's wrong with her? I would look at her and she would hide. She had this long, just beautiful hair, but she would hide behind it. She was shy. And I think, God, she's beautiful, but what's wrong with her? I went on to Mississippi State. This girl stayed at 
at Holmes Junior College. I had dated a girl named Sheila at Holmes Junior College who was a roommate of my, my roommates. They, well, okay. My roommate at State, my roommate at State dated a girl at Holmes Junior College who had a roommate named Sheila and I dated her the year before. Well, now this girl had a new roommate and guess what? Her name was Sheila too. And come to find out she was the brunette that had been sitting behind me in adolescent psychology. And so I said, hey, you think you could set me up? And, and I'll never forget going by that Holmes Junior College that day and, and meeting Sheila for the first time. And we all went to Holmes Junior, uh, we went to the, the, the Holmes County Park and walked around and we swung on the swings and did all those things. And, 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 and then I, I bought her a, a carton of milk and some cookies and I drank milk behind her, which I don't do for nobody. I said, man, this is love. Because I don't drink milk after anybody. I discovered, I discovered in that brunette a broken, messed up life. I discovered, I discovered that at her age she was already a widow. I discovered that she had been married and been abused, horribly abused. I began to discover some of the pain and the heartache and the things that she had gone through. And, and, and as I began to know her and begin to see all of these things, I began to feel God pricking my heart and saying to me, Son, this is your wife. I said, God, no. I'm serious. I beat the dash of my vehicle two times in my life. One time when I was homeless on Main Street in Yazoo City in a 1974 Maverick and this time dating this girl because I said, God, there's too much baggage. This can't be the one. But I want you to know something God said to me. This is a broken piece of grace. She has been abused and used. And I have an assignment for you. I want you to take care of her for the rest of her life. And I want you to know something. You know what I did? I said, God, yes, sir. And I've never, I've never given it a second thought. She's made the greatest wife a man could ever have. And I want you to know something. I've loved her and protected her. Back then, I used to be a couple of hundred pounds. Didn't nobody mess with me. This was before I got sick. I remember one day a friend of mine, a paramedic, came by and he said, listen, I need you to make a run with me. I was off that weekend and I was over there dating Sheila. He said, can I swing by and pick you up? I got an emergency, a car wreck. So we went to this accident and we got to the hospital, got to the ER, and we're unloading this person and handing him over to the hospital and the ER there. And, and then all, all of a sudden my friend who was from Canton, where Sheila's from, he said, you remember that cop that smarted off about Sheila? I said, yeah. He said, there he is right there. He's the one that escorted us into the hospital. I said, well, hang on, I'll be with you in a minute. I said, are you so-and-so? He said, yes, sir. I said, um, did you say something about Sheila? And I, her last name at that time was Atkinson, which is a name I never say. He said, yes, I said that. And I said, I want you to know something. These are my pre-Christian days. I said, I want you to know something. If I ever catch you, if you ever say anything about her again, 
I will stomp your carcass into this pavement. Now, he's in uniform. I said, do you understand that? I said, don't you ever say another word about her again. At Mississippi State, two football players came one day to visit her roommate at State, walked into their trailer. One of them told a dirty joke, off-color joke. Man, I shut up. I didn't say a word. I got real quiet. Boy, Sheila knew I was mad. One of them was a linebacker for State. They got up, they walked out, and they walked out. When they walked out, I was right behind them. I said, hey, man, let me tell you something. I said, don't you ever talk like that around my woman again, around my girl. Don't you ever do that. And boy, he had had a couple of beers. He said, well, I tell you what, why don't we just take this? I said, man, I'll be happy to. And the other football player looked at him and said, you're getting ready to get your butt beat. We need to go home. That football player came back and apologized. Man, I want you to know something. God has called you to protect her. God has called you to be that wall that she can lean against. And, and, and nobody, I promise you, I asked Sheila a while back, we were talking, and I asked her, I said, if something happens to me, would you remarry? She looked at me and tears began to come into her eyes. She said, how could I ever find another man that could love me the way you've loved me? I've sat with my kids and said one day when I'm gone, listen to me, you protect your mama. Man, I want to tell you something. Young men, if you want to be the kind of husband that she needs, then you need to love her with passion. You need to love her with sacrifice. You need to love her unconditionally with commitment. You need to forgive her as Christ has forgiven her. You don't need to be embarrassed of her. You need to hold her up as a trophy of God's grace. 30 plus years of counseling. And I can tell you this, every single woman that I've ever known in every council longed to be loved and longed to lean. If you're single here today, Christ is your knight in shining armor. You wait on that man that God brings into your life. You wait on that woman that God brings into your life. You wait until he says, this is the one. Sir, get back on that ship. If you're a family man here and you're a dad, you need to be that spiritual leader. You need to be that pastor in your home. You need to step up and man up. Man up. Put away the games. Put away the buddies. Man up. Be a man. We need some men in this country today that are not chasing a skirt off on an island. They are on the ship. I'm going to tell you, the owners of the Costa Concordia were saying to the captain, you get back on that ship right now. And that's what God would say to some of the men here today. Step up men, be men. Some people say, well, I married below me. I'm just so much better looking than he is. I have such a problem. I've heard this. I have such a problem in the workplace. It's so hard to be faithful when you look like I do. There's so much temptation out there. There's, I'm such a prize at work. Everybody's flirting with me. Pastor, how can I help that? Well, just wear your old ugly flannel gown. Put your hair up in rollers. Take your morning breath. 
And I tell you what, you go looking like that, and I promise you, you'll stop all the flirting. And, on your, and when you get home, you put on your best dress, you brush your teeth, you take the curlers out of your hair, and, you, and, and I promise you this much, you'll change it. You see, men are the same way. Some men will come in, they'll say, you know, you get some of these guys, boy, they think, man, they think they are God's gift to women. <laughs> oh, man. They'll come into the office, but we're here for counseling. Well, she's got a problem. I, I, you know, and, and, and I, I just said, you know, and they th- you see some of these men, they, they think they're better looking than their wife. And they'll begin to allude to, ha- you know, they'll, they'll say, Pastor, it's just so hard for me to be faithful to her when, the, you know, when you look like I do. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just such a good looking man and there's just so much temptation out there. And I want to look at her and say, I tell you what, sir, you wear that old ugly t-shirt with those young underarm stains under it. You take your old morning breath you nap up your hair like you do when you get out of bed. You burp real loud, fart a couple of times. <laughs> You'll be a real prize. You'll stop that. And every man in this room and every woman in this room this married knows exactly what I'm talking about. One day, listen... God said to me, he said, listen, Sheila, you know, I look at her sometimes and she looks at me. Hey, we're getting older. We know that. I get up some morning and my skin's just sagging. You know, you pinch your eye and it stays there. You know? I mean, you just, you know, skin, it just, you're just sitting there looking at yourself and going, man, who is that looking back at me? That's my mama, my daddy. You know, that's not me. Sheila will look at me sometime and, and, and almost she'll tear up and she'll say, I know I don't look like I used to. You know what I tell her? I say, when I look at you, I see when you got out of my car, I took her to Holmes Junior College one day, she got her stuff out of the back seat of the car and she stood up and she had a white blouse on and blue jeans, her hair straight down and she had this big toothy smile And she just smiled at me. I said, that picture is who I see every day of my life. You see, how does Christ love us? Because that's what Christ sees. He sees his son smiling back. And I want to say to you today, and we've got to close. We want him to get to the children. They're probably glad. But I want to say to you, men and women that are here today, listen, God wants to heal that home. He wants to heal that marriage. It, it, listen, if you didn't hear anything else, Ephesians 5.21, Hupatasso, listen, coming under authority, serving one another, that's what makes great churches. That's what makes great families. And that's what makes great marriages. Now I want to invite you to stand and Let's spend a moment in prayer with heads bowed and with eyes closed. You may be a young person here. You may be a young person here right now, a young young man, a young lady, that right now that God is dealing with you about who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You bathe that prayer and wait on the Lord. Young men, young woman, if you're here today and you're promiscuous right now, I want you, I want, in fact, I want everybody to look this way. 
If you're promiscuous right now, no matter your age, no matter who you are, I want to, I want to encourage you to do this. Stop it right now. Repent of it. And begin, to, and begin to wait on God. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. God, I repent of this. I ask you to forgive me. And God, I want to wait on you to bring into my life that person that will be a tool in your hand that you'll use forever. Now, secondly, some of you in this room, you say, I married the wrong person. No. Don't you go fix nothing. You're married. You're married. And if you will begin to submit and serve and treat that person as if they were Jesus Christ in your home, it would make all the difference in the world. You say, Brother Jeff, I don't know. My grandmother, that woman you've seen me talk about all twisted and bent up, my grandmother loved my grandfather. He ran around on her. He boozed it up. He literally treated her. In fact, one time, my uncle came home from the, from the military, from the army. He had been in Korea. Came home from the war in Korea. And he took my grandfather and he grabbed him by his shirt and he lifted him up on a wall and he said, Don't you ever touch my mama again. And when I send money home, you better make sure she gets it. Do you understand to his own dad? but my grandmother loved him unconditionally. My grandfather came to Christ and became a follower of Christ. And when I die, I believe I see my grandfather. Don't give up. Don't give up. We have in this room, and before I pray, we have in this room a precious senior adult. Her name is Jeanette Price. My family, we love Miss Jeanette. A while back, Jeanette Price fell on her back porch. It was in the evening, and she lives alone, and she fell on her back porch. There she stayed all night. She stayed there all night. Helpless, there on the back porch, unable to get up. I asked Jeanette when I went to the hospital, when they, Rosemary finally got there the next morning, and you need to pray, you need to visit our senior adults. The next morning, Rosemary found her, they got her to the hospital, I went to the hospital and I said, well, are you all right? She said, I'm fine. I said, well, Jeanette, I said, I said, what happened? She began to tell me. She said, but I was all right. Listen to what she said. She said, Jesus and Joe were with me all through the night. Do you know who, Je you know who Jesus is? Joe was her husband that she buried right before I became the pastor of this church. And for the last 15, 16 years, she's been a widow. She said, Brother Jeff, she said, you see that big tree in the back? She said it was covered in white flowers. She said, I don't know about everything. She said, but I know this. Joe sat there. He held my hand. Jesus was there until Rosemary came the next morning. Sheila said, what if I die? What will you do? I said, Sheila... You'll just look and see an old man with his glasses down on his nose being a grandfather and writing and spending his day serving the Lord until I see you again. That's what God wants. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray right now for the power of your Holy Spirit to bring healing to marriages and to homes. 
Lord, there are people that will be listening by the website. Their dear Lord, their homes and their marriages are in disarray. They're in a relationship, maybe a single person, a young person that is compromising spiritual principles. Dear Lord, building a past that one day they'll have to apologize to the one that you bring into their life. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you bring healing to relationships. Lord, I ask you today, dear Lord, if there's any here today that do not have a relationship with you, that they would submit first and foremost to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That they would say, Lord, I know that you love me. And I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, and right now be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, right now I want to be your bride, better or worse, rich or poor, death do us part. Lord, I thank you that not even death will part us. So Lord, I pray if there's one here that needs to give their life to Christ, that they would do it even in this moment. And then follow and come forward and make it public. I pray that if there's men that need to come and spend a moment in prayer, and when their wife says, why did you go down? I went down to pray for us and to pray for you. God, make us the kind of men that we need to be. Joshua's. I pray for single dads that are trying to raise their children. Give them strength. Encourage them. Help them to be a godly man. If nothing else, help them be the faithful dad, the wall that that daughter can lean against to protect her and to watch over her. Father, I pray, dear Lord, for young men that are married, that, dear Lord, they be committed and devoted, that they put away the games, they get serious and disciplined in their life and in their marriage. Father, do a work in our homes. Bring healing in the name of Jesus. Amen.